This podcast is produced by Coaching Life Matters, a nonprofit educational organization that exists to help people understand their core story and find freedom for their future. Connect with us at coachinglifematters.com. How often have you experienced being loved regardless of a massive failure? This can happen and does happen. This audio contains the true story of a man who felt like a failure after betraying his best friend. He received an incredible surprise in return. Listen to the greatest story ever told. It was 38 years ago. I was a freshman, 18 years old at Ole Miss, and I was seeking for a way to live. What was modeled for me by my mother and father was what I called living death. I could only see through the window of life experience that I had lived up to that moment. And I was searching for a way to survive the raw emotions of shame and and guilt and fear and aloneness and despair that, um, that screamed inside and at the same time were so destructive that they had to be muffled because were they to be released, Uh, They would damage the people around me and even my own life. One night I lost control. I got drunk. I said I'd never drink because of what I had seen and experienced in my own family, that I, I never wanted to go through that, and yet I found myself there. I felt the pain and the loss delivered by my parents who used alcohol to deal with their own guilt and shame. And now I was working their darkness and beginning to follow the way that they had marked for me. I'd experienced uh, hell on earth and was confronted with my decision to travel the path of alcoholism that my grandfather had laid out for my mother and all of her brothers and that my own father traveled. Inside, I had feelings that I could tell no one. On the one hand, I wanted to be the good guy that rides in on the white horse and and saves the day and rescues people. On the other hand, I knew that I could kill under certain circumstances and that I was full of lust and evil that shocked my own awareness of myself. I lived in confusion and guilt and shame with a longing passion to demonstrate that this life can have more significance than what I was told it could have. When I was a little boy, um, my grandmother, who had a third grade education, taught me that Jesus loved me. And she got it, she, she got it across because I remember As a six-year-old, I was sent to the store to get a loaf of bread, and I had to pass the church house. And on the way back, I got tired, and so I laid the loaf of bread down, put my head on it, and I went to sleep. So I felt safe around the place where I was told about Jesus. The night after I got drunk 38 years ago, I read the life of Jesus in the book of John in one sitting for the first time. There was one line that stunned me. I'll never forget it. It was this one. Jesus said, I came to give life, 
and to give it abundantly. The gut response that I had to that was, he's a liar, or he's crazy, or he's telling the truth, and I'm going to find out. This is Your Life Matters with Terry Smith. Terry has helped over 10,000 people during the last 40 years. Every year, he provides premarital services to roughly 50 couples and coaching to roughly 25 businesses. Every month, he provides coaching to roughly 90 individuals, 40 of whom are veterans. In addition to crisis intervention services, he provides on a regular basis. One of those whom has received Terry's services is Quentin Dickerson. He went through his core story with Terry Smith, and here he gives a personal example of how coaching Life Matters impacted his life. I may be a little bit unusual. I've known Terry since college days, so I've known him uh, over four years. Uh, and known of his work and have respect him a lot and what he's done over the years in ministry and uh, I consider myself a close friend of Terry. And he, I knew about this procedure that he'd gone through, helping people to understand their family background and how that over time God has worked in people's lives, perhaps unknowingly or, or in a way that they didn't really sense or appreciate uh, until they had gone through this process of seeing Terry um, having to ask some questions, which were they were not difficult or embarrassing or painful questions. They were questions about your family and you growing up, and and uh, put that on board. And once you see all that, you kind of begin to get a big picture sort of image of your your background and what has caused you to be the kind of person you are, and how that God has worked uh, in your life through other people, through family members and others that you have known in your formative years. What was the result of, of spending time with Terry? It helped me to see things that were there that I'd known about, but never just put together in exactly that way to see how they made sense and how they had formed my impression of life and of interaction with others growing up. And, and I now see that more clearly. And if uh, someone was considering using Terry's coaching services, what would you tell them? I would encourage him to do that because I think it, it, uh, Terry has a kind way and a way that is uh, non-threatening, uh, that is loving and caring, and is able to bring out things that, that you've known about but maybe have not thought about in that way before. That was Quentin Dickerson about how Terry's work through Coaching Life Matters changed his life. And now back to the story. There's one character in the life of Jesus that I feel connected to in a very personal way. If I had just one story to tell you, and I knew it was the last time that I could speak, this would be the story that I would tell. Written on the canvas of my mind, I think in pictures, some people think in words, I think in pictures, and the canvas of my mind is written this story And I want to tell you that story as if I were that person. I'm just going to try to be this person. And I invite you to listen to the story of Jesus from the heart of a person who was closest to Jesus and who ran with him in a really special way. I remember the first time that I encountered him. I'd been fishing all night long and hadn't caught anything. As I was pulling the nets in, Jesus walked up and approached me and he said, would you mind if I got in your boat and talked with the people? I said, sure. We got in the boat, moved out a little ways, and he began to talk to the people. And then 
Then he stopped and he said, I'd like to go right over there and catch some fish. I looked at him and said, now right over there is where I fished all night long. There are no fish over there. And he said, I want to go right over there. So we took off over there, threw our nets out, and shortly our nets began to tug. We filled up one boatload of fish, and then I called James and John. They filled up their boats, and the boats almost sank. And I fell on my face in front of Jesus, and I said, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And he looked at me, and he said, don't be afraid. Just come with me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Well, I, I left everything. And James and John came along. James and John were a couple of rich kids. Their father owned a fleet of boats with hired servants. They came along, and we began to move into the village. He picked up Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, who was a zealot, who carried a dagger under his cloak, would have slit Matthew's throat in a minute because Matthew was collecting money from his Jewish brothers and giving it to the Romans, and Simon hated that. One day, a leper came up to Jesus. I was shocked when he walked over and he put his hand on the head of this man whose nose was almost gone, when his ears had deteriorated. And he said, be clean. And all of a sudden, this man's countenance changed. His flesh changed. Amazing. We knew that we were on to something here. One night, he left us. And he came back early in the morning. And he walked over to me and he said, Peter, I want you to be with me. And I want you to go into the villages and tell people that the kingdom is near. And Peter, I'm going to give you the power to cast out demons. Boy, it was thrilling. And then he went over to James and John. And he's called them. And then he went to Matthew and called him. And then Simon the Zealot. What an amazing group. And we began to move around the villages in Palestine. And he would teach us about lampstands and mustard seeds. One day we were, in a, we were in a house, and I knew that his mothers and brothers had heard. And I knew also that they thought he was out of his mind. And they came to get him. And, the, and someone said, your mothers and brothers are outside. And he just looked at us and the people, and he said, who's my mother and who's my brother? See who does the will of my father. And then the dynamic, as we sat around the fire at night, we would have these discussions. I'll never forget when I asked him one time, I said, Lord, how many times do you forgive? Seven times? He said, no, Peter, not seven times. Seventy times seven. As many times as a man will turn. We talked about the kingdom. You see, every spring of the year, some guy would get him a couple of hundred men, storm Jerusalem, and be wiped out. Because we were expecting the Messiah. But this time that we knew, and we began to move out of the villages, and the sick were healed, and the lame walked. And one day we were so exhausted, we just got word that John the Baptist had been murdered. 
And he said, we need to get some rest. So we got in the boat, headed across the Sea of Galilee, and we got approaching the shore, saw the most amazing sight. There on the shore were 5,000 men separated into groups of 50 and 100. And Jesus looked at them and he said, oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he went ashore and we gathered with those people and he fed them. But then something happened. It was at this point, everybody had been following Jesus. And all of a sudden, after he had fed them, he turned to me and the other disciples and he said this, just like this. Get in the boat and get out of here. Immediately, we got in the boat and headed across the lake. And as we went across the lake, we were ticked. We had more men on the backside of that desert than there were Roman soldiers in Palestine, and we could have done it. I didn't understand the feeding, but I knew it was time. And to, and to top that off, when we got back across the lake over in Capernaum, and all of the, the people gathered, and they approached him, and he confronted them. He says, the reason you're following me is because you want to use me to get what you want. And then they said, well, then tell us what to do to do the work of God. And this is what he said. If you follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, I looked at the crowd, and they began to move away until there was nobody but us. And then he looked at me and the rest of us. He said, what about you? Are you also going to leave me? I said, Lord, where, where can we go? There's no one who speaks life the way you do. And, and his popularity just went downhill from then on. We were headed up to Caesarea Philippi. And we were having an argument. And, and he said, uh, what are they saying about us, about out in the villages? What are they saying about me? And he said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. He said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And he said, well, Peter, flesh and blood didn't make that known to you. My father gave that to you. But let me tell you what I want you to do with that. I want you to keep your mouth shut. Don't you tell anybody that. But you know, I could handle that. But the next thing he did... It was like he took a knife and drove it right into my midsection and then lifted it. I felt like my insides came out when he said this. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem and the chief priests and the rulers are going to spit in my face. They're going to mock me and I'm going to be crucified. And the third day I'll rise. Well, when he did that, I grabbed him and pulled him aside and stuck my fist in his face. I said, no, that'll never happen to you. And he looked at me and the other disciples then me look right in the eye. And he said, Satan, get behind me. You think like men and not like God. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You're talking about confused. My confusion really came out a few days later. He took us up on the mountain. And up on the mountain, there it was. There were the three biggies. There was Moses. And there was Elijah, and Jesus was standing there, and my knees began to shake. 
And so let's build a tent for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus. And all of a sudden Moses was gone, Elijah was gone, and there Jesus standing in white and a cloud engulfed him and us and heard this voice. And he said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. We headed down the hill. He said, Don't tell anybody about this till after the resurrection. And we looked at each other. We got to the bottom of the hill, and there was a little boy who was foaming at the mouth and would roll in the fire. And the father of this boy runs up to Jesus, falls on his face, and said, If you will, Lord, will you help my son? And Jesus said, What do you mean, if I can? With God, nothing is impossible. Immediately healed the boy. And later that evening, we were sitting around together, and we said, Lord, we don't get it. Why is it that we couldn't help the boy? And he said, Only by prayer. Only by prayer and fasting. And then he said it again, I'm going to die. They're going to mock me, spit on me, and crucify me. Well, we, he caught us in our arguing. And he said, what were you guys talking about on the road? They got real quiet. Because, see, we were arguing about which one of us was the greatest. And then he called a little child. And he called the little child, and he sat him on his lap, and he said, do, do you see this child? Unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You think we remember that? Just a little while later, some mothers were bringing their children to Jesus. And as they were bringing the children, we told them, get out of the way, move, move. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, Leave the children alone. And you could see the veins sticking out in his neck. He was indignant. And the children ran up, got on his lap, and he began to embrace them and laugh with them and hold them. And then as we left, he said, It's going to happen. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be crucified. And I'll be raised the third day. I couldn't believe it. James and John pulled him aside, and they said, Lord, we got something we want you to do for us. Jesus said, well, what is that? And they said, when you come into your kingdom, let one of us be on the right and one on the left. That ticked us off. I mean, it just wore us out. And I heard him say, well, can you drink the cup that I drink? Are you willing to be baptized with the same baptism that I'm baptized with? We will. We can do that. And Jesus said, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But the right or the left, that's for whom the Father's prepared. The Son of Man came into the world to give his life as a ransom. And if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you're going to have to be a servant. Next thing that happened, we were heading through Jericho, and there was this blind guy, his name was Bartimaeus, standing on the side of the road, and just screaming, Jesus, have mercy, have mercy. People told him to shut up. All of a sudden, he stopped. He said, bring the man to me. 
And so they brought Bartimaeus to Jesus, stood him in front of him, and Jesus asked the dumbest question I think I ever heard him ask as I looked and as I thought about it. You know what the question was? What do you want me to do for you? The guy just said, I want to see. He gave him his sight immediately. Well, he was coming close to the end. And he asked us to go prepare the meal. And so we went and got the meal ready. We were having a little problem at the meal time as we arranged things and who was going to sit where. And so he walks in as we're jockeying around for position. And he walks in, he takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, takes a basin of water, and he starts around the room. And I'm watching him wash feet. And he gets to me. It's not going to happen. You're not going to do that to me. And he looked at me, he says, Now, Peter, if you don't let me do this to you, you have no part of me. I said, Lord, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me. He said, you've already had a bath today. I just want to wash your feet. And then he said, after he washed my feet, so now if I, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, then you wash one another's feet. The next thing was hard. After the meal, he said, all of you are going to leave me. There's not a one of you that's going to stay with me. And I thought, yeah, he knows James and John. Yep, he knows them. He knows Simon. He talks a big stick. Matthew will leave. And I looked at him and said, yes, Lord, they'll all leave you, but you can count on me. Not only can you count on me, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. And he looked at me, shaking his head and said, no. Tonight, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. Now that hurt. He shared with us later how he loved us, he'd chosen us. He took us to a quiet spot that we often went to. We would go and sing. And we would sit around and try to explain these stories, these parables that he would tell. And then he came to me and to John, and he said, I need your help. Would you pray for me? And then he left. And I heard him scream. I could hear him hit the ground and say, Father! Next thing I knew, he's waking me up. He said, could you watch just one hour? And then he left again. And he woke us up the second time. He said, I needed you. And then he left again for three hours. He was just prostrate, sweating like blood. And then the soldiers came. And as the soldiers got there and moved on him, I pulled the sword and I slashed Ripped the guys, trying to rip his head off, just clipped his ear. Jesus stopped me and said, put down your sword. Do you not think that I'm going to drink the cup that my Father has given me? If I wanted to, I could have called 12 legions of angels to fight this battle. My kingdom is not of this world. And they took him. They bound his arms and they drove him, took him off, took him to the courtyard. And so he goes into the courtyard, and I follow. As I come to the gate, someone said, you're one of the disciples. I, not, not me. 
went on in, got over by the fire, warmed my body, overheard the bantering and the hitting and the abuse that he was getting and the, and the Caiaphas screaming, blasphemy, and heard him striking. And someone said, yes, you are. You're, you're one of them. I said, not me. And then a woman eased up beside me and looked me right in the eye and she said, yes, you are. I can tell by your accent. And I call down curses. No, I've never known the man. And the cock crowed. And I turned. And I looked into the face of the master. It's the first time. First time I ever saw who I really was. And I wept. And I wept. And there is no language to describe the shame and the guilt and the tragedy that I knew in my life was. And they took him out to a garbage dump and ripped him apart. And he was gone. And all of our hopes and all of our dreams down the tube was over. And my life was worthless, just like it was when I met him the first time. Some women got word to us that the tomb was empty and we said that's ridiculous we went to the tomb I went to the tomb and it was gone and they said that an angel spoke and that the angel said go tell my disciples and Peter and that afternoon he found me and I want to tell you what he told me he came up to me and he put his arms around me and he said, Peter, do you remember when you were sleeping in the garden while I was praying? I want to tell you what I was praying. I was praying for you, that you would understand that the Father loves you as much as he loves me. And I want you with me. And I wept again and I wept and I didn't know what to do with this and so I said I'm going fishing and I took off and James John said I'm going too and Nathaniel says I'm going and Thomas says I'm going and off we went we went to the fishing hole went out on the sea and we sat on the lake all night long and we talked about these stories we talked about that woman who was in the crowd had been sick for 12 years spent all of her money and how nobody saw her we're all pushing and shoving and he said who touched me and there was this woman in the crowd he was aware of her the little children the kingdom had to do with something with little children or a blind man and all night long we fished, but we remembered and we thought about him and how much he loved us. And then we got this, it was dawn, the sun was coming up and there was this guy standing on the shore and he said, hey, you guys caught any fish? We looked, he said, no, I didn't caught any fish. He said, well, throw your nets on the right side. Pitched them on the right side. There he was. <laughs> you know, we started catching these fish. And we hauled in, the boat got full, and John says, it's the Lord. Man, I wasn't going to wait for them fishing. I drove, dove in, swam ashore. I went over to the bank, and there he was on the shore. Had this big fire going here. Some fish and hush puppies. He had them all. I said, bring some more fish. And he just fixed breakfast, and then he started passing this breakfast. And we just had the biggest old time. And then he looked at me, and he said, Peter, 
Do you love me more than these? Oh, Lord, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And then he said it again. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Then shepherd my sheep. And when he said it the third time, it really hurt. He said, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, I do, I do. Then feed my sheep. And then he said to me, he said, now as a young man, Peter, you can go and do whatever you want to do and be wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do. But when you get older, they're going to bind you up and you're not going to be able to do that. And I looked at him and I said, well, what about John? And he said to me, Peter, what's that got to do with you? You follow me. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that something? And, and I want to tell you the point that I got out of that. And I don't know if you get this point, but this is the point I got from it. That if Jesus wouldn't turn his back on Peter, you can mark it down. He won't turn his back on you. There is not anything you could do, not anything that you've done, that the God that Jesus revealed from the revelation from the creator of the universe broke into history and put a stamp of value on a human being. And I've decided that I'm going to go with it. And if he wouldn't leave Peter, he ain't going to leave me. It doesn't matter what. I got two stories. Now I'm going to be done. Back at Old Miss 38 years ago, man, I was excited. I, he, he loved a woman at the well, and a woman caught in adultery, and Zacchaeus. And I said, man, if, if that's God, then I'm going with it. And I started following him. I started going to church. And the preacher took me under his wing. It was great. I mean, he loved me. I don't know why he loved me. In fact, first service, there were some people from Old Miss who were here who remembered back then. And, and this minister took me under his wing. I'd wake him up in the middle of the night to talk to him about that girl I was dating over in the Delta, trying to figure this thing out. And he loved me. And he had a wonderful wife and three beautiful children. And I said, boy, he's going to show me how to do it. Guess what? Life struck the minister. And divorce hit. And his, his life crumbled in front of me. And I said, oh, God! If the preacher can't make it, how can somebody as screwed up as I am make it? Well, our God is real good. He planted a thought in me, and he led me to old Peter. And the thought that came to me was, let no man be your teacher. And I want to tell you the thought from 2 Peter that Peter wrote 30 years after he betrayed Jesus. This comes out of Peter's mouth. Listen. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And through our knowing Him, our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness, and through these, He's given us His magnificent promises so that through them you may escape the corruption of this dark world. Did you get it? Two things. I decided I can't trust my mother. I can't trust my father. I can't trust the preacher. What about Peter? He might have figured it out. 
And do you know what he said? And I'm here standing before you 38 years later that the path, that knowing him and knowing that story and knowing those promises, he said, therefore, here's the path you get on, Terry. Add to your faith. I didn't have much of it, but I had a little bit. To your faith, goodness. Didn't have much of that. I had a little bit. To that goodness, knowledge. Listen, learn the story. To that knowledge, self-control. And to that self-control, persevere. Keep getting back up. If Peter could keep getting back up 70 times 7, I can get back up 70 times 7. And to that perseverance, kindness. And to that kindness, love. And if you continue on this path, your life will neither be barren nor unfruitful. You can count on it. And you know he was right. You know the best thing I've taught my children? I got four of them, four daughters. If you don't think that's different, have four daughters and go through the teenage years. I've taught my children how to fail and be okay. And I learned it from Peter. Next story. I'll conclude with this. When I was 35 years old, I went to the hospital to visit a friend of mine who was dying of leukemia. I was still trying to figure out Peter. So I was reading 1 Peter every day. I read it for five months every day just to try to figure out the way he thought back then and how he thought 30 years later. So I go in in Robert Street, a big farmer. I go into the ICU unit, his eyes are bloodshot, his tongue is swollen, and I slip my hand in his hand. And I said, <clears throat> trembling, Brother Robert, if you want to pray, just squeeze my hand. And, and he squeezed it. And I bowed my head. And I want to tell you, that moment, I felt like I just dove 20,000 leagues under the sea and I was dead and there was nothing that I could say. There was nothing Terry Smith had to say that would help. But inside, having read 1 Peter every day for five months, these words rose up and ministered to Robert Street. Listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, You've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never fade or spoil or perish and is kept in heaven for you. And through faith, you're shielded by the power of God. Thank you, Peter, for letting us know that you've got everything you need inside you for life and godliness. And through knowing Him and His promises, you're delivered. I don't know where you are. I'm just confessing to you that this story saved my life. I believe that His message to you today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, it's a message of peace. It's a message of peace. And I hope that you believe him. And if he would love Peter, he loves you. And nothing, 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 nothing can ever change that truth. You've been listening to Your Life Matters, a podcast produced by Coaching Life Matters. Stay connected at coachinglifematters.com.